We're in First and Second Peter. Did you know by the end of May we'll have gone through the whole Bible in four years? That's pretty cool. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. That means I've preached on almost every single book of the Bible. A couple got skipped because of holidays and things like that. But um, but we're in First Peter and Second Peter tonight. So turn there in your Bibles. The the words will also be on the screen. Um, I want to just set some context for First and Second Peter. Peter, uh, the apostle, he's the one that had the big mouth. You remember him? He'd always try to do uh, things his way, and he's the one that denied Christ, and then Christ reinstated him. Uh, he's actually now ministering why he's writing these things in Rome. That's where he's at. Um, and he's writing these letters to Christians that are scattered across the Roman providence, the Roman area, and, and these Christians are a minority. And I don't know if we realize this, but in America today, we are not a minority. <laughs> we are a majority, okay? So, and I think sometimes we lose sight. Now, we're becoming more and more of a minority, but we are not a minority. And so sometimes when we engage culture, we have to ask ourselves, uh, am I engaging this uh, well, and does it matter whether I'm a majority or a minority in how I engage culture? And so as we think through that, Peter is instructing Christians on how to engage culture as a minority. And I would say that how we engage culture, whether we're a majority or a minority, does not change. But as a majority, there are a lot of temptations to engage our culture in a different way than if we were a minority. So I may offend some people here tonight because I'm going to push on some things. We're going to talk about 10 things that God's people are, how this identity shapes our actions as God's people. The reason these things are going to push is because these things that I'm talking about tonight are going to be countercultural. They're not American ideals. They're not American dreams. They're not American values. They're God's values. They're Jesus' values. They're gospel-centered values. And I think that as a church, as an American church, who's been in the majority for a long time, we have forgotten these values. And we need to begin to imply these values in our immediate relationships and in our media relationships and in our political relationships. So let's dig in. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want you to answer this question. Who are we? Who are we? Who are you? We are God's people. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we are, you are God's person. That's who we are. That identity should then shape our values and shape the way we act. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles 
or elect strangers, or elect aliens of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace, grace, not grease, we don't want grease, do we? We want grace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's so much I could just preach like five sermons right there, but we don't have time for that. This is an overview. So may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Can I get an amen? That's good news. Who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That for his last time is talking to about the coming of Christ. His divine power has been granted to us all things, we're jumping over to 2 Peter 1, and we're looking at 3 and 4. So 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has been granted to us all things that pertain to life and godly. Uh, man, I'm having trouble talking tonight. To life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power. That is awesome. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Partakers of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Partakers of God's relationship that he's had with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. To partake of the divine nature within First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse four. That is amazing. And having done this, we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He saved us out. Now we're strangers in a strange land. We're, we're citizens of heaven. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. In the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm back in First Peter 2. I'm jumping around, so... It might be easier just to read the slides, but I'm back in 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Now verse 5. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices except to Jesus Christ. I went the wrong way. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you belonged to no one, once you were stumbling around in the darkness, but now you are, what to say there, church? God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are we? We are God's people. Now, I, I'm going to make this. I am, we are God's people, God's people. Say, I am God's person. I am God's person. I am holy and precious in his sight. These are realities that are part of our identity. These are the things of our identity that shape our activity. They shape our behavior. So how does this identity shape our behavior, our actions? There's 10 things I'm going to go over. Now, there's way more than 10 things. And there's way more than 10 things in First and Second Peter. But I only have 20 minutes left. <laughs> so we're going to go over these 10 things. And, and I don't, if you can remember all 10, I'll be impressed. But I just want you to remember a couple of them, okay? Just ask the Lord to give you some that jump out at you as we go through these 10 things. Let's start in First Peter 1, 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been... So, in this is talking about our identity in Jesus, okay? In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Who's got a various trial? Yeah, I think we all could sign up. I mean, we all got it. And sometimes various trials look pretty messy. They look like those U's out front that you walked by as you came in. They look pretty sad, right? And we got to be patient with the U's to grow again, just like we need to be patient with ourselves to grow. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God's people rejoice in God. And rejoice in the fact that I'm God's person. I'm holy, I'm acceptable, I, I, I'm precious in his sight. I'm God's person. And God is working in me a work that I wouldn't even believe in if he told me. He's transforming me. Yes, I feel like this whacked up, chopped up you out front, this bush that looks like it's been hacked to no end. But yet God is doing this for a reason and for a purpose, to renew me and restore me and to shape me into his image. 
Who are we? We're God's people. And God's people rejoice in God. That's number one. Therefore, we jump to 1 Peter 13, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sober-minded is one that is not being tossed to and fro. It's one that knows the truth. It's one that isn't caught up in every little frivolous thing, but it holds and has its mind set on Jesus. So God's people are mindful in setting their hope on the grace in Jesus' return. You know, there's so many things that distract us. There's so many things that compete for our attention. And I would just ask you this, where is your mind focused? Have you been mindful in setting your hope in the grace that will be revealed in Jesus' return? In that grace of the fullness of salvation, in the identity of being God's people. God's people are mindful in setting their hope not on the circumstances around them, not on their financial security, not on the relationships that might or may not work out, but they set their hope on the grace in Jesus' return. That God is coming to make all things right. That God is making everything right in my life. That nothing comes through the God's gate that he has not already predetermined to use and shape me into his image. To renew me. First Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see, church, we're to love each other. And we're going to love each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been born again. And God produces this love for one another in us because we are God's people. God's people love each other with a pure love. They love each other. And I know some of you say, well, I sure love that guy, but I don't like him. Well, I'm not sure it really works out that way, folks. It really doesn't. You know, I mean, loving somebody from the other side of the room requires nothing of me. Does it? But loving somebody when it does something to me, when it costs me something, that's love. When it causes me to humble myself, to lay aside my own agenda and my own power and my own will and say, no, I'm going to love that brother. That doesn't mean we, have, we don't set any boundaries. Sure, we can set boundaries on people who are repeatable offenders. But we doesn't, don't stop loving them. We don't stop engaging them. And I see this time after time in church. We begin to avoid one another because they annoy us. 
brothers and sisters, we're called to love one another. God's people love each other. And this isn't only said in Peter, is it? John says this. Jesus says this. Jesus prays and says that the world will know that they are my disciples by their what for one another? Their love. This church we're called to love each other. To love each other well means that we lay down our rights for the other. That's hard. Like I said, I'm going to make some of you unhappy tonight. That's probably the first one. Because what does our culture say? Our culture says, my rights first. You fit within my box and we're good. Right? Or sometimes we as the majority feel like we're always offending everybody. And that person says, well, that offends me. <laughs> right? And they use that as a tool to get their way. And if that's happening in our culture, don't you think that happens in our church? It does. But we are called to love one another. Loving one another is requiring us to call each other to the truth of the gospel, to live into the gospel, what Christ has done for us, the fact that we are sinners saved by grace, and now we are saints, God's people. Turn with me to First Peter 2 and 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as sojourners, that's an alien, uh, uh, somebody who does not belong, we sang the song, this world is not my home. That's because it's true. No, we sing the song, I'll fly away, which is kind of like getting out of here. But the, the song I was thinking of is, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? This is not the end result, thank God. We live for a greater purpose and, and a greater new heaven and new earth. We are sojourners and exiles, and we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. And these passions of the flesh would be anything that is related to sin in our lives. Gluttony sexual immorality, anger, cussing, swearing, all these kinds of things. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He totally assumes from the get-go that these Gentiles would already be mistreating these Christians. That's a given, and it is true, because they are a minority, they've been saved, they're no longer participating in the sex cults, they're no longer participating in the, the veneration of the emperor and the worshiping of the emperor. They are being ostracized, and he says, yet do not react to that, ostracization, do not react to that pushback, to that persecution with Violence. Do not react to it with dishonor, but to react to it honorably. 
Well, Pastor, what's honorably? Well, we're going to get more into packing that out as we go through Peter. But honorably is to act in the best interest of God, for God's glory. First Peter 2, 16 through 17 says, Live as a people who are free, and we are free in Christ, amen? We've been free, given freedom in Christ. We're free from sin and death. We're, we're free to choose, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. I would go again, this one thing that I already said, what? Love the brotherhood, love each other, brothers and sisters. Fear God or revere God. Have reverence and awe for God. This one's hard. Honor the emperor. Their emperor of this time was not a good guy. In fact, he would kill Peter. Honor the emperor. And I know sometimes with all political figures, we have a hard time. Because of the decisions they make and our people in authority, we have a hard time honoring them. But this right here, it says, honor the emperor. Honor. Live with honor. So God's people act honorably in their freedom. They don't demean. They don't talk down. They don't cheat. They don't steal. They act honorably in their freedom. We've been given the freedom to engage in relationship, to engage the culture. And as we engage the culture, we do it with honor. We do it in choosing humility. That's what we use our freedom for. Choose humility. First Peter 2, 20. For what credit is it if you, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? Yeah, everybody who sins should be, like, punished, right? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called. What? Excuse me. What does that say? That's right in the face of American ideology, health, wealth, and happiness, the American dream. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Leaving you an example. Christ is our example. And we have been called to suffer for Christ's sake that we might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Finally, all of you, have a unity of mind, a sympathy, 
brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, on the contrary, bless. I don't on talk radio and I do not hear any blessing. I often listen to some very popular preachers and then I listen to their sermons and, and oftentimes there is no blessing. They're fully engaged in the cultural war and they're trying to use the Christianity majority to prescribe morality. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. God's people follow Jesus' example in relationships. They have a humble mind. They don't think of something, that equality is something to be grasped. But they humble themselves. And they bless when attacked. Entrusting themselves to him who judges justly. God's people follow Jesus' example in relationships. You know, I, I impressed myself on this issue. There's been a lot of shootings lately. Seems like there's one in the newspaper or on the news every month. And we have taken steps here at church to try to protect some of that. But yet, I'm challenged in my own heart as whether or not if somebody walked in, how to respond in this context to them. I know what my American conservative cultural expectation would be. And that would be to have somebody in here with a gun to take care of that problem. And yet I don't think that's the ethic that Peter is teaching the first century Christians who are under persecution, who are being thrown out of their homes, who have been ostracized from society. That's not what he's telling them. He says to follow Jesus' example, who didn't revile in return when he was reviled, who did not threaten in return when he was threatened, but entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. Now, I have not totally resolved this, and there is a whole canon of Scripture, but Peter's message is pretty clear. Violence against violence is not the answer. Harsh words against harsh words is not the answer. First Peter 4, 1-2 says, Since therefore you, Christ suffered in the flesh, 
Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Was Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Therefore, 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing So God's people expect to suffer. And they entrust themselves to God in living for his will. God's people are to expect suffering. It's, it's what is part of our makeup. It's part of what God has, has brought to us. And yet when we suffer, we're to entrust ourselves to him who judges rightly living for him and, and rejoicing in that we are God's people, chosen and beloved. We are God's people being shaped and formed. That that very thing that has, has come to me is for the formation of my soul into the image of Christ and for the dying to my flesh. 2 Peter 1, 16-21 Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitness of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's an eyewitness to the, the uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to forget the term, it just ran away, not the ascension. Transfiguration, thank you. Eyewitness to the transfiguration, this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, we, we saw Jesus, we heard God endorse Jesus. Don't walk away from Jesus. And we have a prophetic word more fully conformed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you see, God's people are Jesus-centered. They don't go off on fanciful ideas. They don't run off into heresy. They stay focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God's people are Jesus-centered. 2 Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing themselves swift destruction. 
This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, Peter says, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by a way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles that false prophets will arise. God's people know false prophets and teachers will arise. They know that. They know that they will scoff at Jesus and his gospel. And they don't get carried away by them. And they don't get fixated on them. They are Jesus-centered. God's people are Jesus-centered. Second Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. These false prophets were saying, Yeah, he's not coming. Jesus isn't coming back. If he was, he would have came back already. Just forget it. Right? And yet Paul says, No, he's coming back. But he's coming back on his timetable. And his timetable is not our timetable. And, and this is the good news. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but it is patient toward you. What's, God is what? Patient toward you. Amen? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's people image God, and they're patient, having a... a heart for the lost. God's people have a heart for the lost. They have a heart to see their neighbors, their friends, their co-workers come to know Jesus. They have a heart for the lost. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will be passed away with a roar. Now, I want to just make it clear. The day of the Lord will come like a thief to those who are not looking for the day of the Lord. Okay? That's what it means by the, it'll come like a thief. Meaning that all the world that aren't Christians, it'll be like, boom, the th- God is here. Okay? But for us Christians, we know the day of the Lord is coming. So for us, not like a thief. Because we're looking for it. And the heavenly bodies will be born up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That word right there is exposed. is really critical in this whole passage. This language of dissolving and, and, and burning up is that language of just everything being laid bare before a holy God. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people, and this is why it says this, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We are to be God's people, living out of the identity that God has given us, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. But according to God's promises, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth, which righteousness dwells, where everything is set right. That's what we're looking for. That's not heaven now. That'll be heaven then. God's people are waiting for Jesus. God's people are waiting for Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, there was ten, ten things that God's people are, that God's people do. This last one is kind of a summary of those. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God's people are humble, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's so many of us I know struggle with anxiety, and I just want you to hear this. He doesn't say don't have anxiety, does he? Does it say God's people don't have anxiety? No. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It just tells you what to do with the anxiety that he knows you have. You're to take all the anxiety and lay it at his feet because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Form in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, conform, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. So who are we? We're God's people. And God's people humble themselves and entrust themselves to God with sober minds to see the enemy's schemes actively imaging Jesus as they look forward to his return. And his example was militant? No. His example was one of humility. To bless when cost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are God's people, that we are your people. I'm your person. And Lord, we pray that we would live out our faith in a way that shows our identity that you've imparted to each one of us, that that identity would continue to shape us, that when we're tempted to live and walk in the identity of the flesh, we'll say, that's not who I am. And we would step into the identity that you have created in us and freely given to us. And that is your person. Holy and acceptable. Chosen and precious in your sight. A royal priesthood. One who walks in humility. Freely chosen humility. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your strength. And we just pray that... uh, we would be able to embody that well as your spirit empowers us to do that. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.